Welcome to the Thyroid Fixer Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amy, and we're diving deep into the world of hormones, especially for all you fierce women in perimenopause and menopause and everyone struggling with hypothyroidism. So if you are battling weight gain, you're feeling like shedding those pounds is an impossible feat. If you're dealing with plummeting energy levels, gut-wrenching fatigue, or a libido that seems to have left town, then you're in the right place. And let's not even start on the hair loss. If these symptoms are sounding all too familiar, you have found your tribe. My goal is to educate, empower, and shake up your world. Remember, I want you to embrace every inch of that badass woman that you truly are. So if you're ready to dive in and fix things, let's go. When I heard the term vagina coach, and then I saw that she has an app called her Buff Muff, and she is a self-professed Kegel maven. You know, I had to have her on the show because what's more intriguing than what I just told you. So with me today is Kim Vopney. She is, did I say that right, Kim? I didn't even ask you how to say your last name. All right, I got that. (laughs) You got it. You nailed it. (laughs) She's here. We're, you know, we've talked a little bit about pelvic health on this podcast before, but not as in depth as we're going today, no pun intended. So I I think this is one, you know, we were talking off air. This is a topic that I don't even hear that much about in my community from my audience, because I don't think women know that they can even talk about it. And, And like we were talking off air, a lot of women will think that the symptoms that they're getting, and we'll go through the symptoms in a moment, the symptoms that they're getting are tied to X, Y, Z, all these other things, or it's just something that's supposed to happen, or I'm just getting older. All of those thought patterns that run through our head that make excuses for our body literally rebelling against us and and doing weird, crazy things. So Kim, thanks for coming on and kind of making this, this whole pelvic health discussion a little bit more open and comfortable for women. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for helping me get the message out. Because as you say, that there's, there's so many people that are in the dark about what the pelvic floor even is. And when they have symptoms that they are experiencing, sometimes they just assume and accept that they're, oh, well, that's just part of being a woman or that's just part of getting older. And, and there's so much suffering associated, I think, needless suffering. So yeah. totally needless. Exactly. And that's why we have to have these conversations. Yeah. So most specialists will come into their specialty because of something they went through themselves. So I have to hear what, what is your story that brought you into specializing and becoming the vagina coach? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, really it stems from being afraid of childbirth. So way back sixth grade, I saw a childbirth education video as part of our sex ed. And I thought, no, hell no, not doing that. Not for me, but I still went home with this sort of fascination. And I said, well, my mom did it and my grandma and my aunt, you know, looking at all the women in my life thinking, well, they did it and they're still carrying on. So, so I asked questions and my mom told me about episiotomies, which is where they cut into the pelvic floor tissue as part of vaginal childbirth. And the intention was thinking like, oh, this makes it easier for women, but it created more issues. So thankfully that's not done as it used to be very regularly anymore. But so again, that was another seed like, okay, no, I'm, I don't want my vagina cut. Thank you very much. And so grew up thinking that's not going to be me. And then I met my husband, decided I did want to start a family. My midwives told me about a biofeedback device called the EpiNo, which is a German 
biofeedback device that helps women connect with their pelvic floor. They learn to experience or that they do experience symptoms of stretch and pressure and discomfort, trying to mimic what happens during birth with the intention of training the pelvic floor to respond more appropriately. So made sense to me coming from a fitness background, stretch, strength, and preparation for a physical event. Sounds great. Right. I used it. I had a great experience. And I thought, why is not every single woman using one of these? And so I contacted the company and said, hey, could I be a distributor here in Canada? And that's, I didn't intend it for it to be a business. Honestly, I just thought I'll sell it on the side to some friends and through my midwives. And, and that's how it started. And then I started to see the overlap of being a personal trainer and all the principles of fitness that I was talking about for all the other muscles in our body. Why are we not applying them to the pelvic floor? Mm -hmm. And so that's how it started. I had a program called Prepare to Push all about trying to educate women about pelvic floor while they're pregnant. Pregnancy and childbirth are very well-established risks for pelvic floor dysfunction. So if we can introduce what the pelvic floor is and get people doing different techniques in pregnancy, could we reduce those risks? And there is evidence to support that. So that's where it started. Then I was saying, okay, well, I'm doing all this preparation work, but now we're overlooking this recovery. And Coming back again to fitness, there's protocols for recovery and rest after you've completed a physical event. So then I looked around the world at all the other cultures who embrace this healing. They honor this postpartum recovery. And in North America, we absolutely do not. And we are sprinting back to the gym at two weeks postpartum, trying to not look pregnant as fast as possible, which I think is also contributing to this increased pelvic floor dysfunction. So then formed a second business called Belly's Inc. with two other women. One was a pelvic floor physical therapist, another one, a trainer like myself. We manufactured a wrap and coupled it with exercise to help build this mentality of healing and restoration and pelvic floor importance to that. And then we, as business partners, started to go through our own perimenopause journey. And we were saying, you know what, this is not just a do your Kegels and pregnancy conversation. This is throughout our life, we face stages and changes that influence our pelvic floor and nobody is talking about it. And we are all in the dark and so many women are suffering. So then it was the transition into this other stage of life for not just myself, but for my community and my audience. And so the majority of women who I now support are in the perimenopause menopause phase. I couple fitness, the principles of fitness to the pelvic floor muscles. It's a group of muscles, just like our biceps and our quads and all the other muscles in our body and take a whole body approach. It's not just about do three sets of 10, 10 second hold Kegels and you're fine. It's, it's really a whole body approach. And, and that's what I do. That is amazing. So let's back up my listeners that are listening, going beyond, yes, we kind of know the whole childbirth puts you at a, I guess, a greater risk or just, I don't even know if risk is the right word, just sets you up for pelvic floor dysfunction. What about the women who, let's say, like myself, have never had kids? What do I need to look for? What are the symptoms? When does this start occurring in perimenopause, menopause, and why? So let's break break all of yeah. that down. I don't know if you want to start with the symptoms so women can even know what we're talking about and what these other women are suffering with and what they might be. But like you said, they just mm -hmm. kind of chalk it up to, oh, wait, that's just normal until we talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, an important point to make is that you do not ever have to have been pregnant or given birth at any point in your life to experience pelvic floor dysfunction. You could be a teen, you could be, you know, 50 and 55, 65, however, never given birth before. And, and so it doesn't matter the age or the stage. Yes, the most common time is after pregnancy, childbirth, and then into perimenopause and postmenopause. But 
I guess I'll start first with what the pelvic floor is. It's a group of muscles, as I mentioned. They are in three layers. The first layer is primarily responsible for our sexual response. Second layer, primarily responsible for our organ support. Third layer, primarily responsible for maintaining our continence. And so the three layers are not working independently. They are all working together and they support our spine and our pelvis. They, as I said, they maintain our continence. They support our organs. They are part of our sexual response. They're this core team and they are part of the core. We've all heard of core exercise, but never have we, never have we been told about the pelvic floor. It's this, it's this missing link. So right. the pelvic floor is this group of muscles in the center of our body manages a whole bunch of really important functions. And when it's working optimally, we don't even think about it. It has this anticipatory element that it understands when we are going to cough, laugh, sneeze, jump, lift, push something heavy, whatever. And it pre-contracts, it manages that load, and we don't even know that's happening. When it's not doing its job well or where some disconnect is happening as part of the core team, then we experience things like back pain, leaking with laughing, like leaking with some sort of exertion, lifting, coughing, sneezing. Some people call it sneeze, pee, or peezing. We might experience really strong urges, like just thinking like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom a little bit. And then when we see the toilet, all of a sudden the alarm bells go off and we have to get there urgently. Or every time we come home, we're fine. But as soon as I put the key in the front door, all of a sudden my bladder gets all excited. Why is that? That, I know. (laughs) Yeah, I'll explain why in a second. So that's very common heaviness, pressure, difficulty inserting tampons, tampons maybe getting pushed out, constipation, painful sex. And this could be pain from dryness in the tissues. It could be pain from insertion because the muscles might be tight, dragginess, feeling or seeing a bulge. Those are all really common symptoms. And I want to highlight the back pain piece. How many people do we know that have or have had back pain at some point in their life? And we have lots of evidence, including one uh, fairly recent study that showed 95% of women with low back pain have some form of pelvic floor dysfunction. And they're seeing chiropractors and massage therapy and, you know, acupuncture, physical therapy. And, And the missing link is so often the pelvis and the pelvic floor. So those are the most common symptoms. And the reasons why they happen can be trauma, stress, or sleep, constipation, pregnancy itself. So the biomechanical changes that are happening with our posture, then birth, whether it's vaginal or cesarean, a lot of people say, Oh, I have a cesarean. My vagina is fine. You had the same hormonal changes, the same biomechanical changes. Some people even push before they go to a cesarean. So cesarean does not make you immune to needing attention to your pelvic floor and then behaviors. So when we were talking about urgency before, the people who are peeing just in case, I'm going to pee before my exercise class so that I don't leak. I'm going to pee before I leave my house because I don't want to have to go to the bathroom. I'm going to pee because blah, blah, blah. So we get in this habit of the bladder being, we are emptying before it's telling us it's full. And then it starts to say, oh, you would like to be notified when you're only half full as opposed to full. Got it. So then it starts to message us earlier. And then we, if we are not drinking water because we are afraid of leaking or we don't want to have an urge, then we become dehydrated. So then the urine becomes more concentrated. It then screams louder. Like it's just this whole, we don't even realize the things we're doing that we think are helping that are creating more of an issue and constipation. When we aren't pooping well, we have this mass that pushes against the bladder That's one. But then if we are straining to get that poop out, we are also putting downward pressure and force on the pelvic floor, which can be a major contributor to 
organ prolapse. So organs that are shifting out of their proper anatomical position. Oh my God. All right. We have to unpack all that. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to get to the organ prolapse because I know people right now are like, wait a minute, do I have organs coming out of me? What's going on? So first of all, okay, this is, this is like real time taxi cab confession emissions on the podcast. So I'm, you're, I'm hearing you talk and I'm thinking, well, number one, I don't hold my pee. I don't not drink water. I don't do any of that. But just today I'm lifting my dog up. We went for a walk and sometimes he can jump into the Jeep. He's older, he's 13. And then sometimes, yeah, I got to lift the Jeep. So it's, he's like, wait a minute, this looks a little bit high and I'm tired. So I was picking him up to get into the Jeep. And yes, I peed myself because that pressure of me straining to pick up this 50 pound dog that's also like, doesn't really want to. I, I peed myself. Now I've done this before back in my powerlifting days. I would have to wear a pad. If I was lifting heavy weights off the floor, forget about it. I, I would sometimes double up with, you know, those like like big ones that almost look like a diaper in your mm-hmm. underwear. I would double up with those because no doubt I was going to pee. Forget about jump roping. I mean, that's that's out of the question unless I'm at home and and I like have a blanket under me. And then, yes, that whole thing of there are times when I get back from walking a dog that everything was fine until I hit the door. And then from the door to the bathroom, I'm like, oh my God, how does it know? How does it know? How does it, why is it coming out right now? (laughs) So with those, I mean, before our conversation, I'm thinking, I don't have a problem with my pelvic floor. And now that I just told you all of that, would you be like, you know, Amy, you have a problem with your pelvic floor? Yeah, I would say, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pathologize that and say, oh my gosh, like you're like emergency situation, but I'm going to say, yeah, those are all signals that your bladder is sending, your pelvic floor is sending you saying, this load is too much for me to manage right now with the current strategy. So we like when we lift, especially a load, like a dog that's moving, or it could be a baby, or it could be, I remember seeing a woman at an airport who had a, she had a baby, like a fairly new baby that she was carrying in a, like a baby Bjorn, a sling. She had a diaper bag on one shoulder. She had a carry on in her hand. Then she had a toddler running around. The toddler fell hurt himself. He was crying. She had to bend down with all this crazy load and managing this. And I'm looking at, you know, and of course I'm thinking, I wonder what her pelvic floor is doing right now. Right. But so managing load is part of the job of the pelvic floor. It needs to sense the effort we need and manage the effort required. So we increase intra-abdominal pressure with something like lifting a dog or a weight or whatever. And if that load is more than the pelvic floor can manage, we will experience something like it could be a leak could be, you might, some people like right then and there will feel like something pop and, oh my gosh, I feel a bulge. Like a prolapse can happen quite suddenly. Doesn't usually, usually there's been some things developing along the way, but that can be an exacerbating fact. So yes, I would say not don't ever lift heavy again. Don't ever lift your dog again. I would say let's train your pelvic floor and build capacity so it can manage those loads or the needing to lift your squirmy dog or what have you. So that's one piece. Uh, every single person would benefit from seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist once a year, just like we go to a dentist to see, check in with our teeth. We go to the dentist, even if we don't have a toothache or anything, we just go for a checkup. We right. should be doing the same practice for our pelvic floor. So that's one piece. The next would be pelvic floor exercise incorporated into whole body movement. That The Kegel message, do your Kegels, 
Nobody does them. Nobody does them correctly. We even have uh, like it's over 50% of women are doing them incorrectly. They're boring and they're not training the pelvic floor dynamically. We need to train it with lifting, with twisting, with bending, with all the different moves that we have in a day. And then the piece about the urgency as you're getting home, people who have you know gotten in the habit of well, I can just, I'll wait until I get home. And so the, the home often becomes a safe place where ah, we know we're there and we can relax. And the muscles that have been kind of like, oh, we're trying to struggle and hold on. Now we know we're coming home to a safe place. We always go to the bathroom. It's going to be fine. And so it gets excited and we get those really strong urges. So it doesn't mean like an urge is, we all need an urge to tell us it's time to go. But when those urges are happening more frequently or more strongly, then that's a sign that there's something we need to retrain. There's something we need to address in our diet, which doesn't sound like that's a piece of what you would need to do or hydration. But those are common misconceptions that, well, I'm just not going to drink and then I won't have that urge and then I'll be fine. But we end up getting stronger urges. So a lot of it is bladder retraining, muscle training with the whole body approach. And then we didn't even talk about the hormone piece, but what, as we approach menopause, we now have this steep decline in estrogen and we have oodles of estrogen receptors in and around our vagina and around our bladder. And without the estrogen, those tissues become much thinner and drier, exacerbating the urgency, burning, the frequency, prolapse symptoms, painful sex, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Stay on that piece for a minute, because I often talk about obviously on the show, hormonal changes and, you know, from really even an estrogen dominant state in a woman's twenties, moving into thirties, then estrogen starts to decline. Even in forties, we know if you're fifties or sixties, you do not have the same estradiol level that you once did. So whether you're having a cycle or not on the regular, your estrogen is going down. So yeah, can you get more into, because in, in talking about low estrogen symptoms, of course, I do talk about vaginal dryness or pain during intercourse, but I never tied in the the pelvic floor and all the changes that happen there. So can you go yeah. deeper in that piece? Yeah, yeah. It, it's I always point people when they're still cycling, a lot of people at least in my world, in my community, and now maybe other people hearing this will say, oh yeah, that happens to me too. But they notice that, the week before and sort of the days before they bleed, they notice that they may have more symptoms of heaviness or pressure or leaking or the urgency, like they have more pelvic floor symptoms. And that is that low estrogen state. So it's sort of, it's giving us a glimpse into what we will be facing when we get to menopause, where we will be in that constant depleted state of estrogen. And so there's hormone, lots of people talking right now, including yourself, amazing information about the benefits of hormone therapy. And, and it's focused mainly on the body. So the systemic hormone therapy for hot flashes, bones, you know, all of that stuff. Right. That is important. I'm a full believer, evidence-based opinion on, on why we should all be using that, but it will not address the tissue changes in the vagina. We need you know, if we're taking systemic hormone therapy, we, we also need vaginal hormone therapy. So localized, inserted in and around the vagina. And that could be in a tablet form. It could be in a cream form. It could be with a little pessary, the estering. There's lots of different ways that you can administer it. But And just like the systemic hormone is not going to affect your vagina, the vaginal hormone therapy is also not going to help your bones or your hot flashes. So we need a combo approach. But the, the low estrogen state is 
contributing part of part of what estrogen does is it helps with muscle. It helps with blood flow and circulation. And when we no longer have that estrogen, now we don't have as much blood flow circulation. We don't have as much tissue resilience. The tissues become thinner, drier, more irritated. We are way more prone to UTIs and, and infection. Yep. We may start to experience painful sex because of the tissue change. But then also if we are experiencing pain, maybe not even from insertion, but just pain in general, we all often will then guard the muscles become on high alert and they become tense. So tense muscles are going to also interrupt blood flow circulation are going to contribute to pain and tension. Maybe not even again with just insertion, but it could be tailbone pain. It could be pubic joint. It could be difficulty with pooping. It could be difficulty starting the flow of urine. Like if we have really tight muscles, mm -hmm. when we sit down to pee or poo, we need those muscles to relax. And if they're in that high alert on guard state, that's not going to be, that's not all going to be happening. So the importance of vaginal estrogen, I, I really, again, based on evidence and a lot of the, the urologists that I follow, I'm considering it like an essential nutrient from the age of 45 onwards. I believe every woman should be on vaginal estrogen from the age of 45 onwards for the rest of their life. And the, like just reducing the risk of UTIs alone is a major reason, but also for managing the incontinence, the prolapse, the pain, the burning urgency, frequency, all of those things. It, it, it estrogen, the low estrogen state changes the pH of our vagina and, and, uh, and that's not favorable for the, uh, the overall health of the tissue. Now for vaginal estrogen. So normally like with my patients, we'll use an estradiol cream, a biased cream, or we'll use the estradiol patch. Now the vaginal estradiol cream, is that over the counter where women can buy a lower dose? I've seen, you know, various companies and actually my dear friend, Karen Martell is coming out with yep. her own line of low dose, like 0.025 estradiol cream. Can a woman get that over the counter and apply it vaginally or does this have to be prescribed? In Canada, it has to be prescribed. So Karen, I know is in Canada, but she will yeah. be, unfortunately, her products will only be available in the States because of the restrictions that we have here. So you guys are all messed um, up there. You just yeah, are. We, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> it is such a barrier. It is such a barrier. So currently in Canada, you do need a prescription and that can be from a naturopathic doctor or a, an allopathic physician, medical provider to, to prescribe. And I, I am a, again in favor based on evidence for the bioidentical options, mm -hmm. Health Canada approved. So Vagifem is one. There's also, so that you talked about the different types. So there's Estradiol, which is Vagifem. Right. There's Estriol, which can be compounded and is usually compounded into biest, as you mentioned, the a bit of estradiol, a bit of estriol in different combinations. Mm -hmm. Then there's estrone. So there's a, a product called estragyne that is like a little ovule that you insert that is estrone that can be converted. But estrone is when when you think of the types of estrogen, it's more inflammatory. It's, it's not my it's not my preferred. Some people can benefit from it. I don't want to say that there's no place, but my preference would be estradiol, bioidentical estradiol. Yep. The cream versus the tablet. The tablet's nice and easy. You put it in just before you go to sleep. It's not messy. Some people don't like the messiness of a cream, but the cream can be applied inside and outside because we have to think about the tissues around the clitoris, the tissues in the, the labia can also atrophy. So it's important that we address not just the inside, but also the, the whole vulva, really. 
Vaginal DHEA is another option, and you can use both. So maybe vaginal estrogen inserted, vaginal DHEA on the outside tissues like Jolva, which mm-hmm. is a, a cream available in the United States. Again, unfortunately, it's not available in Canada. But in Canada, we do have Intrarosa, which is also available in the States, which is an ovule. It is prescribed also by a physician, but it is vaginal DHEA that's Health Canada FDA approved. So there's even... You know, when I think of, of you mentioned Jolva and I love Annika Becca, she has great products. Mm-hmm. I think of it, using it as like a lubrication during sex, not on the daily for vaginal health, but you can use that on the daily for vaginal health as well. I, I don't view it as a lubricant during. So I think we we have a place for, we need lubricant for sexual activity that's with or without a partner. We need vaginal estrogen to help support the the pH and uh, and the, the tissue capacity and resilience. DHEA is it's not I wouldn't consider it an essential nutrient like I do vaginal estrogen, but it can be for some people. It can use in conjunction with to augment and um, and address the, the some of the other issues that maybe the estrogen isn't doing enough of. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say just use vaginal DHEA only. I still would prefer somebody to use estrogen as well. And DHEA or and estrogen are not lubricants. So I just want to say take that piece. And then the, the other category would be a moisturizer. Like we put all these magical serums and lotions and potions on our face, many of them include hyaluronic acid. Mm-hmm. So hyaluronic acid is a molecule that we produce in our bodies. We produce less as we age, just like collagen. And when we apply it topically, it can help retain moisture in the tissues. So vaginal moisturizer, again, is not a lubricant, but is something that can help from a comfort level, can help retain more moisture in the tissues. So vaginal moisturizer daily, after the shower, put some moisturizer on, you're great. Vaginal estrogen typically is dosed twice a week. And vaginal DHEA is sometimes daily, sometimes you know, multiple times a week, and then your lubricant for sexual activity. Perfect. So you got your own little vaginal health basket going on (laughs) with all different kinds of products. (laughs) And again, I mean, what's fascinating, Kim, is this is not talked about. I had Dr. Shri Ong on, and she's like the world's best vaginal reconstruction surgeon. And again, even talking to her, just like I'm talking to you, I'm thinking this is not discussed amongst women, you know, yeah. even when I get together with my best of the best friends, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll talk girls. So we'll talk sex. We'll talk about how our boobs are sagging or whatever, but we don't talk about having incontinence and peeing when I lift up my dog or, or anything about our vaginas. Like I don't, we yeah. don't even talk about how they look like, you know what? I think I need to go see Dr. Ong because my, my vagina isn't looking too good anymore. Like we don't talk about it. And I think it yeah. needs to be a more, yeah, and, more and discussed topic. A thousand percent. And so a couple of things I want to say, one, I believe we should be teaching kids. So back to my story, a sex ed, a, a childbirth video, why during those education series were we not told, like we're learning about menstruation, we're learning about bodies, we're learning about sex. Why are we not told about this really, really important group of muscles and how we care for it through menstrual cycles, through pregnancies and childbirth, through menopause, like through all the stages of life that we go through as women? Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, 
many women, again, because we have never been told, because we hear through the grapevine, oh, it's just, I can't jump on trampolines anymore. Oh, that's just what happens to get older. Or if we do see a doctor, they are saying, I've heard this literally from my clients who say, my doctor said, just have a glass of wine and you know, if, if, if sex is painful, just have a glass of wine and calm down. Or that, what did you expect after you gave birth? Or this is just a normal part of aging and they're completely dismissed. So all of this suffering is happening and they're thinking they just have to put up with it. And then when it finally gets so bad, and another thing that they hear is come back to me when you can't manage the symptoms anymore, and then we'll schedule you for surgery. So either they're told to wait, 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 and then go have surgery, or they are offered that surgery or medication right away. And I don't want to say that surgery is bad and pharmaceuticals are bad. Absolutely not. We are incredibly blessed to have those as options and they can be fantastic options. However, in my opinion, they should not be our first line of defense. The first best first line of defense, as I mentioned earlier, is pelvic floor physical therapy. If we all were told, I, I remember a dentist coming to my, I think I was maybe grade four. I don't even remember what grade I was in, but a dentist came in, we had to chew this pink tablet and it showed the plaque on our teeth and it told us to brush and floss and all that. Right. Great. Why are we not given some education? It doesn't have to be grade four, but why are we not introducing these concepts of the benefits of pelvic floor physical therapy as an annual checkup? It would, it would literally change the world if, if, and so, and so much suffering for women, if we, if we saw these practitioners and then if surgery is still indicated or chosen, We've put the pelvic floor in the best state possible with pelvic floor physical therapy, with exercise, with vaginal estrogen moisturizer, what have you. We go through the surgery and then this is all part of the ongoing maintenance. Surgery for some people say, oh, well, I had surgery now I'm fixed and I'm fine. I argue you need pelvic floor physical therapy even more because you now have scar tissue that can be a contributor to disruption of function. So I love I talk about surgery all the time. I have had a pelvic surgery. I had a type of organ prolapse that after nine years of trying absolutely everything wasn't changing. I chose to have pelvic surgery. And, and that's become a big part of what I do now is help support people through that process. It's not saying there is no shame in having that, but please address all the root causes and do the work first before you go down that path and make sure you know that this is the, all the stuff you're doing as your prehab is also your rehab and for the rest of your life. Okay. Organ prolapse. You mentioned that a couple of different times. I said I would come back to it. How do we know if we have an organ? Pro what happens? Like what happened to you that you needed the surgery? What happens? Yeah. So in a pelvic organ prolapse is where the bladder, the uterus, the rectum could also be the urethra, could also be the intestines, but the three most common are bladder, uterus, rectum shift out of their proper anatomical position and they can bulge into the, the, the organs start to bulge into the walls of the vagina, or in the case of the uterus descend from the top down. Okay. And so uh, a bladder prolapse is where the bladder will start to bulge into the front wall of the vagina a uterine prolapse, the uterus starts to descend from the top down. And in the case of a rectocele, so this is what I had. Uh, a, actually, I had a, I've had all three. <laughs> the, the rectum bulges into the back wall of the vagina. So my prolapse story is I gave birth. I used the epino. I didn't have any tearing. I was at the time with the knowledge I had then. I thought, great. Well, because it didn't tear, therefore, I'm not going to have the incontinence issues that my mom had. That's That was my limited thinking at the time. And then several years later, 
I didn't know at the time what Hashimoto's was. I did. So anyway, long story short, I ended up having Hashimoto's, but for years I had no idea. I had never even heard of the term. Nobody was helping me like understand, but I was dealing with constipation all of a sudden out of the blue that I'd never had before. So this bearing down, I still knew bearing down was bad, but I'm thinking, uh, you know, I, there's, I don't understand why it's happening. I'm doing all the right things. Anyway, I develop a stage two uterine prolapse. It was asymptomatic until one day I was having sex with my husband. It felt like he hit something. I had seen my pelvic physio probably six months ago. Everything was fine. And I went to see her again. She's like, yeah, your uterus is moving south. So that was, and I was able to reverse that with exercise. And, but I also had an early stage rectocele. So that's where the rectum bulges in the back wall of the vagina. And with that constipation, it had started to worse, worsen as well. And so it, that was then all the things that I was doing, all the people that I saw, everything that I do and recommend was was not moving the needle on that. So you can have tissue disruption, ligament injury, muscle injury that is beyond repair and all the exercise, all the therapy, all the lifestyle change in the world is not going to fix. And in, in which case surgery is really, it doesn't have to be chosen, but that's where it would be more indicated. So that's where, what my journey was in terms of common symptoms. I had no symptoms of this uterine prolapse descending at all until that one day. And that's very common. Early stage prolapse is often asymptomatic. And that's another reason why I recommend that we see a pelvic floor physical therapist once a year as a checkup and just to kind of keep things to, to screen for these types of things. The uh, back pain is a very common symptom, feeling like feeling vulnerable. Like I feel like something's going to fall out, or I feel like I have something in my vagina. I feel like something's there. It could be difficulty with insertion. It could be that you put a tampon in and it doesn't sit right, or you feel it, or maybe the tampon gets pushed out over the day. It could be sometimes people see or feel a bulge. They, they wipe and they can see or feel something there. They may notice, as I mentioned earlier, when like a, during a lift or something, they might feel some sort of a pop or a sensation that doesn't feel right. And then they notice that they have a bulge. Those are the most common. Also, if you can't poop, like the, with a rectocele, it's very difficult to get your poop out because that little pocket, that bulge, poop gets stuck in there and it's very difficult to get it up and out. And same thing with a bladder prolapse, the pee can get trapped in the bulge as well. So you may not empty completely. You may have a little bit of urine leak out afterwards. So those are the, the more common symptoms of prolapse. None of which sound fun. So no. <laughs> what can we do to... Prevent, like you said, prevention is key. Instead of coming in after everything is literally falling out, yeah. what can we do to prevent? I mean, you you say the word Kegel and I, I feel like every woman on the planet hears it and immediately does it like yeah. right now. <laughs> you know, but, but you only do it when someone says, okay, do your Kegels. And they go one, two, right. Are right. they even the answer or is there more? It's more. So if we think about you're a fitness person, you were been a bodybuilder. If you just like randomly picked up a dumbbell and did a bicep curl randomly here and there, because somebody thought about, you, know, you hear the word or, and that happens maybe once every couple of weeks, you're not going to build your muscles. No. It's not going to move the needle at all. And, and Kegels are the same. So we like, oh yeah, I have to do my Kegels and we might do them at every red light and we maybe do five of them, but we're not in a good position. We're not doing them well. We, yeah. We're not we're not imparting enough stimulus or load for the muscles to adapt to. So then people are like, oh, Kegels don't work. So 
Kegels absolutely work when they're done correctly, when they're done consistently. And in my opinion, and more and more research is supporting this when they're coordinated with movement. So we have some recent evidence that's looking at Kegels done prior to resistance training and Kegels done as part of resistance training moves the needle so they get quicker results and more improvement. And this was even in an elderly, one of them was in an, an uh, like an elderly population mm-hmm. coming back to it's never too late. So it's, it's, it's never too late, even if you've been suffering for years. Now coming to your question of how can we prevent this? We can't 1000% guarantee that you will never have any of these issues, but we can absolutely reduce the risks that we face just by being females and having the anatomy and the hormones and the menstrual cycles and, and, and what have you. Part of it is a big one, avoiding constipation. So if that's I've always at the top of my list, avoid constipation, avoid straining, make sure you're pooping well every single day. Another is staying hydrated. So, and that's going to help with your poop as well, but don't restrict your fluids and make sure you're eating and drinking things that are not irritants. Cause there are also common bladder irritants that can also trigger those strong urges or make you feel like you need to go more often than what would be considered normal. Can you give me normal example? voiding is it, yeah. Normal voiding is every two and a half to four hours. If you are um, like artificial sweeteners, dairy, sugar, spicy foods, acidic foods, alcohol, caffeine, those are very common irritants. Not to say that they're irritants for everybody, but if you do a bladder diary, which I recommend people do, where you track your food and your drink over a few days, you'll start to notice, oh, every time I have my coffee in the morning, I have to pee more frequently or I get some stronger urges or it's harder for me to control my, to to close things off. So dietary and, and and then lifestyle, make sure we're moving, make sure we're exercising, not sitting atrophy muscles, like just sitting around is not supportive of anything in our body. We need some rest, of course, but we want to make sure that we're moving and, and keeping things flowing through the body. Yes. Exercise is important. Pelvic floor physical therapy once a year, pelvic floor exercise. So my approach, the buff muff approach is that we connect with the pelvic floor. We understand its relationship with the diaphragm and the breath and then we harness that relationship and bring it into movement. So let's take a squat. We Most people are going to be familiar with a squat. It's kind of like sitting down and standing up from a chair. Yep. So what happens physiologically, when we inhale, when we take a breath in, the pelvic floor is lengthening. It's expanding. So our diaphragm is coming down. The ribs expand sideways. The belly moves it's away from it the, as you talk. I know. Here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm feeling it. <laughs> the okay. belly moves like the the belly inflates. I always use that term, but women sidebar, women are so often holding their bellies in because they want to quote unquote, strengthen their core. If I hold my belly in all day, I'm going to get stronger abs or I want it to look a certain way. And if we're not letting that the belly go, it's interfering with that relationship between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. And it's putting constant downward pressure onto the pelvic floor. So we need to let the belly go. So inhales, widen the ribs, expand the belly. And I always say blossom your vulva. So feel like your perineum, feel like your sit bones are spreading away from one another. Like you're sitting on a chair, like you can feel the surface of the chair a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Then when you exhale, this is where the pelvic floor naturally physiologically contracts and lifts. So inhales expand and lengthen, exhales contract and lift. So when we think of a Kegel, a Kegel is, is where we, people think of it as a squeeze. It's a squeeze and a lift. A very popular cue is think about picking up a blueberry with your vagina and your anus. So as you're exhaling, think about picking up a blueberry with your vagina and your anus. Then you inhale and you put the blueberry back down, not as juice. 
Because so many people also were like, I'm going to do the best damn Kegel in the world. I'm going to do it so hard. And then, and sometimes we don't need more tension. We need a little bit, but a lot of people need to focus more on the relaxing and the releasing and the letting go. So we learned that connection, harness that relationship, and then we coordinated it into movement. So with a squat, when we are lowering down into the squat, that's where the pelvic floor is lengthening. We're inhaling. Then we exhale. We pick up our blueberries just before we stand up and then we stand up. The reason why we exhale to engage the pelvic floor just before we move is to retrain the reaction time of the pelvic floor. So as I mentioned way back at the beginning, the pelvic floor does its thing or should be doing its thing without us thinking about it. It knows I'm going to fall. It knows I'm going to push a heavy door. It knows I'm going to lift this weight. So it pre-contracts and arms me for that to, so it can manage the load. And that anticipatory element gets lost through many things in life. So when we retrain, we're going to exhale to engage. We pick up our blueberries. Then we stand up from our squat. The more we repeat that, we're building strength and endurance, but we're reminding the pelvic floor, hey, remember, you got to pre-contract just before I move so we can manage this load more appropriately. Right. So that's kind of the, the foundations. And then we apply all the other principles of fitness of progressive overload. Okay. I was doing that as you were talking. So I know. I and it takes were... a lot of concentration, right? It does. It takes a lot of concentration. Yeah. So, and, and at the same time, I'm thinking, okay, I need to see a pelvic floor physical therapist. But for the people that are in tiny towns like I am, do you, how does you even find a pelvic floor physical therapist to see once a year? Yeah. Yeah. And not everybody has access geographically. Not everybody has access financially. So there, there are barriers and that's where, you know, I, I've created a, an app. There's other people who have programs that are trying to bridge that, that gap. And also the people that can see a pelvic floor physical therapist, these programs are also helping support the work you do with your pelvic PT. So good old Google, wherever you live, pelvic floor physical therapy and your city or town or the closest major city to you is a good place to start. There's also... It, it was pelvicguru.com. It's now pelvic global. And she, it's a pelvic floor physical therapist who has created a directory of pelvic floor professionals around the world. And this is PTs, fitness professionals, doctors, all sorts of professionals. So you can look there. None of those are like her list is not exhaustive, right? Neither is Google, but those are, those are good places to start. The American physical therapy association has a women's health listing. The Canadian physical therapy association has a listing and they're, they are around the world for the most part in the States. They're called physical therapist, pelvic floor, physical therapist, uh, Canada, the UK it's physiotherapist. So norm, nomenclature can be confusing sometimes, but you want somebody who's a physical therapist or a physio who has additional training in the pelvic floor. And one more thing on that is if you can't see one for whatever reason, we have our own biofeedback. We have our own fingers. So we can insert a finger or two into our vagina and see if we can, when we think about picking up our blueberries, can I feel a hug of my fingers? Can I feel a gentle draw up? Can I feel a let go? If we have a partner, they could use their fingers. If it's a male partner, they could use their penis. Like those are biofeedback tools accessible to us. There are tools you can buy like the PeriFit is one that you basically play video games. So it, the biofeedback displays on an, an app on your phone and you can play video games with your pelvic floor, which are fun. That's great. Um, but you have to make sure that we don't want to have user error. So you, foundational principles, you have to be able to do a Kegel correctly first for those to work. Right. Well, I might just use your your BuffMuff app and go yeah. there. <laughs> Start there. 
So, Kim, can you, you've given so much great information. Can you tell people where they can find you? I, I, like we talked about the app. I know you have a free book for people and an amazing podcast. So let people know where they can find you. And then we'll put all of the links in the show notes, of course. Yeah, thank you. Um, vaginacoach.com is my website. If, if you put Vagina Coach into social media, you'll find me somewhere. I will be sharing a link to a free book. I also have uh, a book on Amazon called Your Pelvic Floor. My podcast is called Between Two Lips, and I'm going to be interviewing you yes. shortly. Yeah, <laughs> I love the podcast name. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then my app is is called Buckmuff. Can't go wrong there. You cannot go wrong with all of that. <laughs> we have to have a little fun. It's 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 a, a heavy, literally and figuratively conversation, right? And we need to have a little bit of fun. So while I, of course, embrace proper anatomical terms, we need to have a little bit of, we need to lighten the load a little bit. Absolutely. So, yeah, we do. Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking when you were talking about, hey, you can use your, your partner's hands or penis. I'm like, well, you can have fun with it at the same time as you're getting biofeedback and doing your exercises. So exactly. good to go with the flow. So Kim, thank you so much for joining me and giving everyone, well, bringing this conversation out into the world, making it comfortable, making it fun and just sharing your story. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for the opportunity. 